0: Welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm Rochelle Tong. I work with Children's Services, and um, I'm here today with Amy and Amy Jeske and Michelle Anderson-Draper. We're going to talk with you a little bit about the child and youth in care and mentoring work that's been going on and some evaluation, learnings and findings. And we're really excited uh, about what we have to share with you today. Uh, so we're going to take you through an introduction and a little bit about the project itself and then some overview of that. Um, then Michelle will take us through some of the findings of the, the evaluation that was just been completed. And we um, that's also provided in the handout section. If you want to take a look at the full evaluation, you can download it there. You can also download it at the AMP uh, website and we'll walk through the website a little bit as well. Um, Amy is here with us from Big Brothers Big Sisters, and she'll talk about the site perspective, what it was like to participate in a developmental evaluation, and a little bit about uh, some similar programs that that her organization works with. And uh, we'll talk about some of the findings between the Youth in Care Program and the CIRCLE Program. You'll hear a little bit more about what each of those are and those two evaluations, some of the similarities and differences between them. And then we'll have about half an hour at the end. We'll try and keep ourselves uh, pretty tightly to the clock here. Um, And we welcome you to ask questions throughout through the chat option. So hopefully for those of you on a computer, you can type uh, into the chat box and we'll be able to see your questions. Um, So feel free to hop on there and let us know uh, that you're here, where you're from, anything you wanna share. It helps us make it a little more interactive with these uh, talking head sort of situations. Ah. And uh, that's my dog in the back. I ah. will so try and I'm going to actually just go take care of that right now. Hold on.
1: My
2: dog is under my desk. Is your dog there, Amy?
1: I don't have a dog, so it might just be kids. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> An example of how how out of control our lives are, even when we want them to be controlled. Uh, I also have a toddler, so we might have her run in here at any given moment. So this is just the the way of life right now. Uh, so just saying, hold your stuff for the for the Q and A if you'd like, or enter them into the chat box, and we'll kind of um, take questions along the way. And uh, we will at the end, for, if anyone's calling in just from a phone line who isn't calling from a computer, we will take all the phones off mute um, for a period of time so people can ask questions that way. So just if you're wondering um, about call-in only options, that's that's our plan. Okay, taking it from there. Uh, as I said, I'll just introduce myself again. My name is Rochelle Tong and I've worked for the Alberta government uh, related to mentoring programs for the past seven years now. A large portion of my work is with the Alberta Mentoring Partnership or AMP um, who's putting on this webinar today and I was really fortunate to be involved uh, with this youth in care uh, pilot project back uh, when it started in 2014. So it's been really exciting to see the changes and the growth along the way and to be involved in this particular project um, kind of right from the start. So the branch that I work for has been also a funder of this project the full way through, and that's also just a little bit of a different perspective um, that we have on the work. and I get have the opportunity to um, kind of profile this program and share knowledge about it up through our ministry and make sure our decision makers are informed about the good work that's going on here. and that's really well supported through any evaluation materials that that do come out of the work. So Michelle Anderson Draper is here with us from uh, Anderson Draper Consulting. Michelle's been involved in evaluation and education for over 20 years. She holds a Master's of Arts from the University of Ottawa, a Master's of Science from the University of Alberta, and is currently working on her Doctor of Education through Western University. Michelle works collaboratively when designing, delivering, and evaluating programs and services. One of the first to receive the professional designation of credentialed evaluator in uh, 2011. Michelle's adept at applying varying evaluation methodologies to meet the needs of a situation as evidenced by her evaluation experience. She brings an understanding, sorry, I've just had people enter my room, toddler people. Um, She brings a deep understanding of developmental evaluation systems thinking and program planning as well as a strong communication and facilitation skills to her work. Michelle has been involved with the Alberta Mentoring Partnership and the Children and Youth in Care Mentoring Project for the past six years. And Amy, Amy Jeske, is joining us today from um, Boys and Girls Clubs Big Brothers Big Sisters of Edmonton. Welcome, Amy. Amy's worked with the Edmonton Agency for the past 11 years. Her experience began in frontline work, and she now oversees the community-based one-to-one mentoring team, which includes the traditional Big Brother Big Sister program that you're probably all familiar with, the Youth in Care program, which we're talking about today, the Circle program, which we'll uh, touch on a little bit, and Amy has been part of the Youth in Care project for the past two years. So welcome to our panelists. And we wanna get a little bit of a sense of who we have on the line here. So here's your chance to interact with us a little bit. There's gonna be a few polls sprinkled throughout the presentation. So um, hopefully we can get that to go as smooth as possible. Um, So the first poll, we wanted to know the reasons you decided to attend this webinar. Um, so there should be three options and actually I uh, okay. I think you should be seeing the poll now, but please let us know if it's not showing up for you. Um, so we'd like to know if you're here because you're interested in all in evaluations of all types, I guess with spelling or there, um, or interested in mentoring program evaluations and curious or curious about the child and youth care uh, mentoring program specifically. Um, so please just let us know so we have a bit of a sense of who's who's on the line there. And I'll ask Andy to just give it a few minutes so when you see um, if you see a few uh, or most people responding, we can switch to um, to the responses so people can see who else is here in the room with them. We have actually a really a really great turnout here today. We've got sixty five um, people on on the webinar. so thank you to all of you for. For being here and sharing your time with us, we hope you get a lot of value out of out of today's uh, material. How are we doing, Andy? Can we show the results? Do you think? So I'm. Oh, there we go. All right, so we have a good number of people here specifically curious about the Child and Youth in Care Mentoring Program, so over half of you. Um, About 30% interested in mentoring programs evaluation and 18% enthusiasts about evaluations of all types. So that's really helpful for us to know kind of how to target our our material and uh, make sure we give you a lot of information about this program specifically and how it's operating. And open up for questions for anything you might wanna know about that. Awesome, then uh, the next poll we have, or you can do right away here. So we also are curious where you're coming to us from in terms of your background or your your work position. So um, if you fit in one of these categories, please let us know. Uh, Staff of a mentoring program, provider, employee of children's services in any capacity, um, teacher or educator, funder of a mentoring program or evaluator, or um, if, it's, if it's something other than those, because those were just some people we thought we might see, please uh, just enter in the chat, whatever, uh, wherever you're coming to us from. We'll give you a few minutes to respond to that one. All right. Okay, so most of you are staff of a mentoring program provider in some capacity. That's great to be aware of. Um, a few employees from Children's Services, teachers or educators, pretty similar. Um, I don't think anyone said they're a funder of mentoring program, and a few evaluators on the line. So great. Thank you all for participating in that for us and giving us a sense of. Where you're coming to us from all right um i'm going to talk for just a couple seconds here about the importance of developmental relationships so seeing that a lot of you are coming directly from entering organizations um you know i might just be preaching to the choir here but we weren't sure who would be on the line and some of you who are here more broadly from an evaluator perspective um, might not have heard this information as often but we really want to stress for people that how critical developmental relationships are. And a real focus of mentoring programs is to to create developmental relationships for young people. So we know that all young people need developmental relationships to do well. And that by thoughtfully designing and structuring the environment that they're in or the the type of relationship, we can assist with positive social, cognitive, and emotional growth. And that we know developmental relationships help, help young people to be resilient in the face of hardships. And though everyone should have opportunities to engage in many developmental relationships in different areas of their life, that's just not everyone's reality. And especially uh, the children and youth that were that are the target audience of this program may have had fewer opportunities to develop those types of relationships. Um, one question that I get asked uh, fairly often is what's the difference between a mentor like through one of these programs or a youth worker and I think it's really important to just um, talk about that for a minute so there's a lot of similarities in terms of a youth worker would help a, a youth get ahead and learn some life skills figure things out teach them how to approach their lives in a healthy way and they're a really great support uh, for for those kids um, but something that's really different especially that comes through from a lot of our mentees is that there's a real difference when someone shows up for them who isn't doing that as part of their job who isn't paid to be there and they really pick up on that as we all know kids are super intuitive and they know kind of all the underlying things that are going on and having someone who shows up in a relationship helps them feel valued and that they're worth being around even when there's no financial gain attached so we know that people's uh you know therapists and counselors and social workers and all those other people in kids lives care about them a whole bunch and really want to to impact them in a positive way but there's it means something different to the youth when someone's there voluntarily um and it's not kind of part of their role or part of their job description um to do that And the truth about a lot of the experience of a lot of the kids who would participate in this program is that there's a lot of high turnover of caseworkers and youth workers and other professionals. So a lot of times there's kind of a revolving door of new relationships um, that they're asked to take on and it may contribute to them not being as open in those relationships or not feeling as safe. And with mentorship, we really like to encourage them to know that this can be a long lasting, enduring relationship if it's something that they want to keep in their lives and that it's working well for the mentor and the mentee. All right, Um, so on to kind of how the program uh, is set up and, and what it looks like. Uh, This program was a partnership funded by the Government of Alberta when it started out and since its inception there's been an advisory committee that's worked to assist in creating the program and developing it so um, I hope you can see the the participants there but it's really been important to have um, child intervention workers, provincial government, funders and decision makers, people working with schools, um, people working with the mentoring programs, families and caregivers and um, past mentors, mentees all be able to provide input into how this program is structured, how it was created and how it's been developed over time. So leaning on our evaluator is part of that, but we also have a really strong advisory group that contributes uh, regularly to how this, how this program um, is, is formed and, and how it's administered. Um, The definition of child and youth in care for this project, uh, I just wanted to briefly touch on that. We're talking about individuals ages 6 to 24. Who have, ex- who have accessed child intervention services within the past two years. So for anyone not as familiar with the specifics of that terminology, um, that's not exclusive to those who have in-care status. So for, um, for social workers, that's a very specific terminology. So um, the type of interventions they might have had through children's services could be that they've been in care. It could also be that they have not in-care services um, referring to children who remain in the home while the family receives uh, services to resolve a matter of concern, or they could also be in the age group of 18 to 24-year-olds who are not in care, but are receiving some assistance from children's services as they transition to um, a higher level of independence. So you'll hear some numbers later in the presentation, and I just want you to be aware that that is referring to all types of child intervention services and not exclusively um, PGO or TGO or in-care status. Um, so the composition of our advisory team that I was referring to a few minutes ago, each of the three uh, sites that hold this program attend with some program staff and managers. So that's uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Calgary and area, um, Boys and Girls Clubs, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Edmonton and area, and also Youth HQ, which is a Big Brothers, Big Sisters uh, agency in Red Deer. Also, we have the various other members represented there. So you can see, see who all is around the table. Um, but I really wanna highlight the, the role that Align plays. So they're an organization that represents um, caregivers of, of those in care. So group homes and foster parents and all other types of caregivers. Um, and Rhonda Bearclaw from that organization has been the chair of this advisory group since the very start of this project and has played a really significant role in advocating for this program. Um, I want to just quickly jump over to our website. Um, first of all, uh, we have a couple quick polls. If you would be able to give us an indication of whether you visited the website before or not, I'll let Andy uh, put that poll up and then we'll just jump over to the website and and take a look at what's what's over there. And I'll hold off on that. Other poll till after we've taken a quick look. So, so this website is on the Alberta Mentoring Partnership um, page, and we it's really where we try and communicate the most about this program. So, if you've seen seen any sort of social media, um, it'll direct you over to this page, and we see a, a good number of people um, going here for information about the program and also using it to download um download the resources that are there so if i could just get you to jump to the bottom of the website andy Uh, i just wanted to point out here that we have a literature review back from 2014 that's been updated since there's also a link there to the one from 2018. Um, some information about how the pilot program started off in the very in the very beginning Uh, moving up a little more Um, the toolkit for effective uh, mentoring for youth facing barriers to success that was a collaboration with the Ontario Mentoring Coalition there's a lot of great information there about setting up these types of programs and a little broader information beyond the youth and care perspective Um, our first evaluation report is there for people to download and some surveys Um, yeah the survey report and our logic model that the program is based off of Um, I want to focus on this one the most the child and youth in care mentoring program design so as we're going through this information if there's more specifics you're looking for around um, like how would I set up this type of program uh, what should I know about um, recruiting or what things are different than what I might see in a traditional mentoring program that's the document you would go to for those types of answers um, and to really see like what what does a program design look like for someone to implement it for the first time? Um, that, that's what we're what we're looking to assist with through that document. Uh, scroll up a little bit. Uh, there's some more results from the Mentor-Mentee Survey from the past year and then this is the document we're speaking to, uh, to through the webinar today is the final evaluation report and there's the links to each of those at that website there. So if we can jump to the poll results, Andy, of who who's used this website in the past? Great, almost 70% of you are aware of it and have visited before. That's really great to see. We're glad that it's getting out there as a known resource. And then there's 30%, oh, sorry, 30% said yes, 60%. I had, the, I had them flipped 70%, the red and the green confused me. Um, anyway, so now I'm glad you know about it, uh, the, the exact opposite of that. Um, but I hope you do take advantage of that resource. Uh, there's quite a bit there that we hope is really useful to you. Um, All right, so I'm going to move on here. I think I have to pick up my pace slightly. so as I mentioned, we're going to focus on the most recent evaluation report right now, and it was covering the 2017-2020 funding cycle, and I'm joining, Michelle's joining me now. I'm going to pass things over to her, um, but that evaluation was led by Michelle as our evaluator. She's actually been our evaluator since the beginning of the project, and has helped us with some other uh, products along the way. And uh, Michelle, I'll let you describe what it means for it to be a, a developmental participatory evaluation, and uh, and what we learned along the way. Thanks, Michelle. Oh, Michelle, I think you're on mute.
2: Because we're not doing Zoom. I'm used to Zoom, but uh, can you hear me now? Yes, you're on. Echo. So can you... okay, hear. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that great introduction, and I really appreciate you spending some time on the website, because I'm not going to get into the logistics. Um, of how to so much and so that's where the program design is going to really answer some of those questions but delighted to be here i am um, michelle anderson draper i have a company based out of edmonton anderson draper consulting i am a credentialed evaluator and for those of you who aren't sure what that is it's through the canadian evaluation society says that i have the education the competencies and the experience to Uh, have that professional designation. And so at the end of this slide, there's some links to the Canadian Evaluation Society if you're interested in learning more about, about that or evaluation in itself. And so this project, the scope of this evaluation is from 2017 to 2020. But you will hear us refer to, and you did see on the website, that some work was done before then, but what I'll be presenting on will be for this funding cycle. I am an independent evaluator, but I had contracts with the three sites. It allowed me to be able to come in and sit at the table, but yet also have some independence as uh, looking at this from an external perspective. The evaluation was participatory and developmental in nature. And I'm interested to hear from you what you think that means. I'm going to go into it a little bit and talk to you about how that might be a little bit different than some of the other evaluations you may have heard. But if you can put in the chat box, what do you think constitutes a participatory or developmental evaluation? So whenever you're ready, put some thoughts in the chat box and I'll take a look at those as they show up. But Andy, I'm not seeing anything. So does that mean nobody's participating in the chat box or I just can't see it? Andy, hi. Um, there's a cut one coming in right now. I'm not sure if you can see that. No, I can't. Um,
0: Oh. I think we'll have to have you read the belt for us, Andy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so assessments, surveys before and after services. uh, working with, working with as opposed to doing for. Mm -hmm. uh, accommodate. Accommodate various participation modes relevant to the individual and participants are included in the evaluation and provide feedback. Yeah, and I wanted to just touch on the one where it said walk along with, and I think that's really important. I had a seat at the table, I was, um, some like to refer to this role as a critical friend. So I asked questions, I collected information, I fed it back, we did some analysis together some interpretive. Uh, so the evaluation that you see the report that you'll download, I want to say is a real collaborative effort. And give a shout out to the sites who were incredible at providing information and access to the mentors and mentees. And also the whole evaluation was um, guided by the advisory committee. So that was the touch points. So that was ways we could bring back information and have conversations about what it is that we're learning along the way influences program development. So it's not your static evaluation where you look at something, once it's finished, and you say to the sites, you have to implement it this way, and I'll evaluate it at the end. We made changes, sites made changes as as things were learned. And so that's what really distinguishes it as a developmental evaluation, that evaluative thinking is embedded into the whole program development, and it generates information for decision making as we learn more, we do things um, to incorporate those learnings. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the evaluation approach and the evaluation um, methods. This was a mixed methods evaluation. So somebody had talked in the in the chat box about doing surveys and interviews. Absolutely. We had um, mixed methods in terms of Some focus groups, interviews, site visits. We also had regular surveys. And we talked to um, pretty much most of the stakeholders involved, including the mentees, the mentors, child intervention workers, parents, guardians, the advisory committee, and we documented achievements and learnings throughout. The intent was to create a model and a delivery system for mentoring children and youth and care. And we did, we achieved that. We also wanted to measure the extent to which the outcomes of the program were achieved. Now, with any evaluation, of course, there's limitations. A lot of the data that you'll see in the evaluation has to do from being collected through surveys and interview results. That gives you a snapshot in time. And also the respondents that were involved in it were self-selected. So I relied on the agencies to identify mentors and mentees to send the link to their, For the survey link to their mentors and mentees. I am confident, though, that we got a good reach and we heard realities of the program. Also, as the evaluation focused mainly on the implementation of the program in those three sites that Rochelle mentioned, there was no control group. We didn't compare this program to, let's say, specifically community-based or school-based. I mean, we talked about the differences, but there wasn't a formal comparison site. And that may be something that the advisory committee looks at in evaluations going forward. And as the evaluator I relied on the sites to provide match numbers and site-based data. So if you're interested in like the number of matches and some more description on that, that's all included in the final report. And this um, was necessarily an evaluation that we tested the fidelity of the program. Oftentimes we will look at implementation and then see how that is against the the program plan. Well, as we were developing the program design, we didn't do that um, per se, but I will um, refer you back to the year one evaluation that Rochelle showed on the website. And in that one, what I did look at was to see to what extent the sites were implementing the principles of this program. We, as an advisory committee, came up with principles like uh, youth-centered, trauma-based, informed, inclusive, uh, evidence-based learning, and I did go to see that those were principles that were being implemented. And in fact, they were. And the program design was informed by the evaluation findings and certainly the literature review um, both times was instrumental for that. One of the things with the evaluation approach, is you'll see that we've included inspiring stories throughout. And I really do encourage you to read those stories. They illustrate some of the successes of the matches and and also the the challenges and and the situations that both mentors and mentees may have experienced. I wanted to share one from Calgary. And all of the, the mentoring stories were provided by the sites. And when there are names, that I if I say a name in a future story, as I will down the road, Uh, the names have been changed so eight months ago a mentoring match was made with a young indigenous girl who's very excited to be mentored she lives with her ill grandmother and six other children her mother struggles with addiction and homelessness and she's never met her father She has always taken on the role of an adult with her siblings and has not had an opportunity to just be a kid without stress and worry her mentor has built a relationship with the family and has been able to provide the mentee with a safe space to share her thoughts and experience new things. The mentor was also able to connect this young girl to Indigenous community and counseling services. They enjoy weekly visits together where the mentee gets to be a kid. So that's just a sampling of of the story and I'll share a few more as we go along. But I wanted to go now to the outcomes of which I'll present the outcomes that we measured as part of the logic model and share with you some of the findings. The first of the outcomes was that children, youth in care, and families were supported by mentors and agency staff. So since the beginning of 2004, um, sorry, 2014, there were um, 400 and uh, 433 uh, children and youth in care mentors, so matches, 433 since the beginning. And, and that's a reason to, to profile this to say that's 433 more youth and children and youth in care who have had a non-paid role model in a positive relationship in their life. So that's to be celebrated. However, wanted to point out that according to the data by Alberta Children's Services, the average monthly case count of children and youth and young adults, so that's six to 24, receiving child intervention services in Alberta Central, Calgary and Edmonton regions, so the three site base in 2018-19 was 5,624. So it's important to recognize that 433 young people served as only a small number. In fact, it's 13% uh, considering the total number of children receiving intervention services. Now, it could very well be that some young people in care are receiving mentor supports from other programs or natural mentors. And it could be that the existing programs aren't accessible where that child or youth lives. And also the capacity of existing sites need to grow to support that larger number of youth. Also, raising awareness, are child intervention workers and parents, guardians, are they aware that this opportunity and service exists? As part of the 2019 survey, so I mentioned we did surveys every couple of years. And I wanted to show you that in 2019, we had 61 mentees from the three sites asked to indicate their agreement with the statement about the level of support provided. And so we combined the agree and the strongly agree. And you can see here, the green is the 2019 and the the gray bar is the 2018. That line down the middle is the target. You can see that all sites exceeded the target and that the majority felt supported by their mentor, so 95%, 92% felt supported by staff. And this is similar in the 2018 one as well. And so for that first outcome, where children and youth in care and families feel supported by the agency and staff, we were able to say that yes, and that was in fact the case. We looked at the outcome that children and youth in care develop relationships and increase support networks. In 2018, we asked parents and caregivers to participate in the survey, and we had telephone conversations with them, asking what the greatest benefit to their child was in receiving having a mentor. And they noted themes about having that trusted person to talk to, increased self-esteem, increased socialization, confidence, having fun, and experiencing new things, developing new skills, becoming just generally more independent. We also asked child intervention workers in 2018, and talked to eight of them. And of those that we spoke to, five felt that they noticed changes in the children and youth since becoming involved in the program, that they observed positive changes, uh, becoming more confident, setting life plans and interests. And that's interesting, because some of the, the activities that the mentors would do with young people would be uh, ones that they may not have had the opportunity to do, like we had some visit uh, hi, uh, visit colleges and universities, help with applications for um, funding. They would do. They would cook together. They would do. One mentor talked about doing going shopping in her closet for for opportunities to to share clothes that maybe she wasn't wearing anymore. Those kinds of things. But it's it's things that would improve confidence and there was a sense that there was less self-harm, increase in calming behavior, approachability, and generally more maturity. So you can see here with our survey results that we asked a series of statements. And again, the mentors helped me feel better. This is the mentee now responding. Mentors helped me feel better at able handling whatever comes my way. Uh, helped me feel more hopeful. Results of being matched. I know more adults I can go to for help. And um, how to access the community. So, on to our next outcome. Just make sure I'm on the same page here. Is to talk about our training. The, the training that sites developed was enhanced and uh, developed for specifically for the mentor uh, for children and youth in care. It is a key aspect of the mentoring program. It's comprehensive, it's trauma informed, and it's provided by the experienced agency staff. Each site created a minimum of five hour pre-match mentor training. One of the hours of the pre-match mentor training is available through AMP online. The initial training is supplemented with ongoing training once participants are matched. So the pre-match training helps give mentors the orientation to the agency, what to expect, but ongoing training and support, and um, it educates mentors on how to address difficulties as they arise and ideas for activities, information on the organization's policies and procedures. So you'll see here that there is a long list of um, items that are covered. And I wanna give a shout out to the advisory committee who uh, many of them supported and worked with agencies as they were developing this. And on the advisory committee, we have many community agencies. We we also have a mentor and uh, we've had mentees sit as part of that over the years. And so that helped inform the training. When we asked the mentors, if they felt that they'd received sufficient training for their role as a mentor. From the responses we got, they felt quite confident around the orientation to the agency, to the program goals, setting boundaries, strategies, confidentiality, uh, identifying types of abuse, fostering a strength-based relationship and healthy match closures and transitions. As we're going down the list, Um, Mentors responded that they were less confident. Less confident in things like trauma, brain development and attachment, mental health, uh, cultural competency, sexual orientation and others. So what we were able to do then is learn and, and recognize that there can only be so much right at the beginning that a mentor is able to absorb and implement. But as they get through the mentoring relationship and get to know their mentee, they may need additional information in mental health, um, FASD, different things. And the agency recognizes this and um, then is able to support that match with additional training. And it also was a finding of the evaluation and the sites shared this, that the training not only supported mentors of children and youth in care, but was actually healthy for All of their volunteers. And so the training really did integrate throughout the agency. And I see a question in our chat box. I see a lot of stories from staff, which is good. Assuming that some stories were composed by the mentees, could you please summarize the main outcome mentees reported in their stories? Okay, I will aim to do that um, with the next stories. And and here is a story. So that was a good omening. That Red Deer says during a match conversation, although this one has to do with the mentor, "Um, the mentor and the mentee were going to continue the relationship to the Youth in Care mentoring program into a a natural mentoring relationship. And that is ultimately the key of wanting that more formal relationship transition into a natural relationship. After discussing some of the challenges, the mentoring relationship, it was decided that providing the mentor with additional training around mental health and suicide prevention would be important in the role. The last follow-up um, with the match information was shared about how truly beneficial the training was. In November, the mentor received a call for mental health. This is His mentee had left work and needed immediate assistance. The mentee asked if the mentor could go to the hospital and be his contact person. Reflecting on the training to remain calm and not to panic, the mentor was able to support his mentee And the mentee is now doing well. The mentor described the training as right on and felt like it could benefit anyone. And you never know when you can support someone through vulnerability and that's important in life. And so the mentor then found that training to be valuable. Just on the next slide, there's a quote from a mentor that it's important to participate in the training, keep in touch. Kids have a lot of trauma often. And so it's important to be trauma informed, which this was. I wanted to take a moment and talk about how in Alberta, Indigenous children and youth comprise a large proportion of intervention cases involving children's services. Now, the number of Indigenous children and youth in mentoring varied between the three sites, and so did the access to organizations and resources available. But the sites did develop and embed specialized training for mentors in the area of intergenerational trauma, cultural awareness, and reconciliation. So using a youth narrative lens, program sites work closely with indigenous agencies and groups to ensure children, youth and mentors have access to indigenous resources, activities and supports that are appropriate and meaningful. That is an area that is further going to be developed and you'll see that in the next steps. Before I go on to the next finding, I just wondered if there were any comments or questions so far, just a couple more outcomes to go and then we'll talk about the successes and challenges and Amy will share about the site perspective. So Andrew, is there anything in the chat box? Nope, okay, (laughs) I'll keep going. The next uh, finding that I wanted to share was the importance of having staff with the necessary experience, skills, training and support to do this work. When we looked at the staff that were part of this program, and interestingly, the staff also sat at the table with the advisory group. So there were staff and managers, and often the executive directors would come as well. And so they were right there at the table through the process. um, They had additional experience, skills, training, and support Then, for instance, other staff that were hired um, perhaps in the community program. They also bring with them a strong understanding of children, youth and care, mental health, trauma, child and youth development. They were a conduit for making connections and referrals to agencies, organizations, and services. And a finding from the evaluation was that this program was more successful when staff had a smaller caseload because of the transitions, the more frequent contact that needed to be made with families and caregivers, with mentors and mentees. Now you might be wondering, well, what's the ideal number of a caseload? We had lots of discussion about that and there's some detail in the program design, more detail than I'll share right now. But what, what I will say is that the number does depend on what else the staff is doing. If they're doing uh, recruitment, presentations, Right, screening interviews right through. Then they may their caseload might be a different number than if they were supporting the uh, matches and not doing the other things. Uh, As I noted, staff are often doing the training and participating in community meetings, and so that will dictate the caseload number. Amy might share a little bit more about that when she when she presents. On to the next slide. It was important that stakeholders were aware and understood what the benefits of mentoring were, and also were able to demonstrate support in terms of time and energy and resources to meet the needs of the youth in care. And this was from a child intervention worker talked about from the experience that uh, a child in youth in care doesn't always have that firm foundation, having someone like a mentor to help that transition to adulthood. And that was a big focus of many of the matches is that transition to adulthood and someone that's not paid to be there for them. All right, so here's another quick story that I'll share and I'll try to summarize the impact on the mentor. Uh, From Calgary supported supported that Heather met Courtney when she was living in the group home where Heather worked at the time. Courtney was experiencing significant mental illness and was moved from a hospital setting uh, for one year. She was moved to a hospital setting. Over that year, Heather continued to visit Courtney and build relationships with her. She reached out to the agency to formalize her relationship and help move it to a new direction. Heather visited with Courtney weekly, they'd have coffee, play board games, and supported her through relationships struggled and having her baby apprehended. Courtney shared that Heather had been with her through the biggest challenges and changes in her life, and she knows her better than anyone else. Courtney's placement noticed how excited Courtney was to see Heather each week. They go to movies and shopping, make meals together. Heather is the most important and longest lasting healthy relationship in Courtney's life. And they have met, been matched for a few years and plan to continue to be in each other's lives for years to come. So I think here the impact on the mentee would have been that sense of having someone, that support system in their life, someone that they can look to, that beacon of hope, that consistent non-paid person in their life to help them when they're struggling through some life challenges. On the same outcome, I'll move to the next slide, which talks about the importance of making sure that stakeholders are aware. And this is how when having folks from the Government of Alberta, we had Rochelle active in the advisory committee, we had other folks from Children's Services and Alberta education. It was key that leadership and government was made aware but also committed to supporting this project. So there was about uh, three to four briefing notes a year. One of the things that this committee facilitated was having performance measures added to Children's Services Annual Report. So onto the next slide, you'll see that there were two objectives in the business plan, there are two, and staff from the agencies report back to, to the government on those objectives Which shows awareness, commitment, and support to the program. All right, so our last outcome is that stakeholders learn from each other and share learnings with others. This is significant in a sense of a developmental evaluation. We don't wait until the end to share information. The advisory committee members, site representatives, our our mentors, mentees, they were active. in many presentations over the three years. There was a webinar, conferences. Um, We also did uh, quarterly advisory committee meetings. We met in Red Deer so that Calgary and Edmonton, we could all come face to face until recently. We did our last one online. And we were able then to learn and incorporate and share those perspectives throughout. An example of a site-specific knowledge sharing comes from the Red Deer site. In April 2019, the agency hosted a focus group to analyze the findings from all surveys completed. Representatives from funders, family, and community support services, parents, guardians, mentors, board of director, and alumni youth attended. The focus group's conversations and findings were beneficial to expand the knowledge of the diverse needs of mentoring within the communities served. There's a, an example of how stakeholders were learning from each other and sharing learnings with each other. As part of the evaluations, the site noted that the advisory committee was an instrumental opportunity for them to come and bring challenges and and problem solve together. So when we talk about challenges, I'll go now to what were the major ones that we noted as part of the evaluation? You're not probably not surprised to see that the complexity in the lives of those being served, the frequent transitions, and more time to require to effectively support mentoring relationships, was noted as a challenge. As part of the survey, we found 64% of mentors indicated that their mentee had experienced a personal challenge or major life challenge during their match. So that's 64%. 43% of mentees experienced a placement change or move during the match, as reported by the mentor. The uh, change in staff and turnover of children service workers, oh, nope, not yet. <laughs> that, that was also known as a challenge uh, because relationships are formed. One of the benefits of having that program design now is that new staff can take a look at it and ease the implementation, get right into supporting families and um, matches. Mentor recruitment, that is a challenge not only with this program, but those of you that are from agencies and work in mentoring will know that that's something that crosses the boundary of programs, specifically male mentors and wait lists were noted as a challenge for this program. Sites had innovative ways to address this, um, explore things like couple mentoring, corporate mentoring, um, different matches with different genders, To try to address that and also looked at how best to recruit, whether it was word of mouth and going out to different events, sharing that promotional material that was developed as part of the program. One of the things that we looked at was the type of mentors who do best in this type of relationship. And we found that those who had like experiences, maybe they themselves were a mentor or were a children and youth or youth in care. Uh, they may have experienced mental health issues, addictions, encounters with the law, were able to, of course, relate to the the mentee, what the mentee was going through, maybe more so than what your traditional mentor, when you think of uh, what your traditional mentor looks like. But that also served to cause the agencies to have to challenge standards and, and change so that those mentors could be accommodated. But we noticed that mentors were a wide spectrum in terms of there were teachers and coaches and evaluators and all sorts of different folks, uh, engineers, doctors that that were their mentors and students as well. Um, But the the finding I wanted to highlight here was that different perspective of who, who who can be a mentor. And in this case, we found that those who had like similar experiences did uh, did quite well in connecting with the youth. In terms of successes, well, we noted earlier that children and youth in care are part of positive developmentally supportive relationships with adults who are not paid in their life. And so absolutely, there's been an increase. Um, I'll talk about it, the need for, for more in a moment. Stronger networks created, The training, I think, was certainly a big success, as was the program design that was developed and shared. Edmonton, in a site interview, talked about feeling better able to articulate what takes more time. One of the outcomes was to better understand why the smaller caseloads for youth versus community and the recognition that the amount of support to family and the match is important for success. So it really was that developmental, that exploratory, Work over the three years to better understand this work. All right. So what comes now, next? Uh, well, and not not right now, but what uh, we've noted as next steps as part of the evaluation would be to expand to include additional sites throughout the, pro- the province, and the advisory committee will have to look at what that entails as their involvement some constituted major influence on the success of that. So how many, at what point will they be able to bring on additional sites? As I noted, the idea to further enhance mentoring sports for Indigenous youth and also incorporated learning from sites to enhance focus for sexually and gender diverse youth. And the sites are working um, separately on that, but that learning incorporates and is brought into this work as well. Calgary noted that it takes time to build a program and grow a new program, that it's been three years, uh, that they're able to support more matches than they did at the beginning. However, there continues to be a strong need for this type of program with so many young people continuing to be in care. As of September 19th, Calgary had 36 children and youth in care on their wait list. Edmonton has 144 and Red Deer had 17, which suggests an interest that um, children need to care to have a mentor and a continuing need for this program exists. Another next step is to work with a researcher at the University of Alberta and undertake a photo voice participatory action research method um, project. And that'll help really dig much deeper into the outcomes that mentees they themselves have experienced, the benefits that they get from being part of this type of mentoring match. For those of you who aren't sure what Photo Voice is, it employs a photography and group dialogue as means for marginalized individuals to deepen their understanding of community issue or concern. So they take photos, there's visual images, and they have accompanying stories are used, and those then are become tools to reach policy and decision makers. So we're looking at seeing if that will be incorporated in the next phase. A significant success as I've noted, um, was the creation of the program design. So it's intended to help with knowledge and information, provide essential elements of program implementation. And so that will be important to review that. Is it meeting the needs? Are people using it? What can be updated to ensure that it uh, best reflects the program and is useful to those who are wanting to start or enhance mentoring for children and youth in care? And of course, not surprised, but this uh, requires funds to sustain not only what the current sites are doing, but for expansion. And so that would be important to advocate for as a next step. And I will turn things over to Amy now with the last shout out to the sites and my appreciation for their involvement and continued support throughout the evaluation. It was a long haul and developmental sometimes takes a little bit more uh, engagement and more work, but all three sites were, were there throughout as was the advisory committee. And so with a thank you, I will pass it on to Amy for the site perspective.
1: Thanks, Michelle. Um, So I'm going to go through a bit of what it was like to be um, on the ground at the Edmonton Agency. Um, Like I said, I I was a part of the project for the last couple of years, uh, overseeing the frontline staff that were actually running the matches and enrolling the youth. Um, So some of the biggest learnings um, we took away and some of these points will kind of run into each other here but um, was just around as Michelle mentioned the recruiting training supporting volunteers in this program. So the approach was definitely um, a little bit different than our traditional program would be in the area of volunteers. Um, so recruitment was an ongoing challenge for this program, um, particularly around the language and, uh, us learning that we needed to move from terms such as highly skilled volunteers, uh, which was terminology we used before, and shifting it to uh, more of an approach that we'd hope to see um, from mentors in this program. So more of um, communicating that we were looking for a mentor that's going to stick with that youth no matter what happens in their life, um, no, matter, no matter how many moves they make um, or the challenges they face. We found the most successful matches were where a volunteer was willing to continue to connect with that youth no matter where they were. Um, A different piece of the approach was also collaborating closely with Children's Services. So not just um, through the advisory group, but um, just on the ground with the actual workers and um, the matches on the day-to-day basis. So if a youth moved placements or moved back with mom or dad or to a different group home that we were continually. Um, in communication with the the staff or the uh, CSD workers if there was a different community agency working with them or or whatever the uh, case was for that youth. Um, And then also keeping the youth and the mentor connected during those times, so a lot of time spent there by our staff um, in terms of uh, making sure that everyone was um, meeting and communicating and that the youth knew their mentor was there for them. So we found we also need to be continually flexible and adaptable. Uh, So not just the staff, but also the mentors. So like I said, kind of contacting that youth and finding where they, where they might be. Um, And that the staff were able to problem solve um, and get creative with how they might reach that child or um, the caregiver uh, and supporting them with any referrals or additional um, supports as needed. And that also fed into the way we would support um, our match closures, so making sure that if the match had to close, that the relationship was ending on the most positive note, because we know that with these youth, um, ending of relationships can be a significant trauma for them in their own lives. We also saw uh, matches that graduated, so they felt they no longer needed our program. Um, And being able to support those match closures is very important to us. So any comments regarding our evaluation for this program or reflections from our site? I think I can roll up to say, the evaluation allowed us to see the impact that the program was having on the youth, the caregivers and the mentors, and hear their voice to influence and adjust our practice as an agency as needed. So moving to our next slide regarding the CIRCLE project, I'll speak to briefly here. Um, I also, um, in the last couple of years, have been overseeing the CIRCLE project um, in our agency as the frontline staff, again, have run the matches and enrolling of the youth. So the project uh, that we have been a part of is quite similar, but on a national level. So um, the evaluations are complementary, which is why we're bringing it up um, in this webinar today. So the Circle program was designed to support young people facing adversity by giving them a positive adult role model, increasing their resiliency, and enhancing the protective factors associated with crime prevention. We are currently in the f- fifth year of the project, which uh, was federally funded by Public Safety Canada's National Crime Prevention Strategy. Uh, three sites three big brother big sister sites have been participating in the project which is Edmonton Saskatoon and Grand Erie so that's a bit of an overview of the project Um, and I just wanted to highlight some of the um, similarities and differences in the projects and why we're comparing them here today so in the circle the program aims to match youth ages 10 to 18 years old with a mentor one-on-one The volunteer again is recruited, screened, and trained the same way as our youth and care volunteers. So again, we would run into the same challenge of recruiting enough volunteers to match to the youth in the program, which was a a common finding. There's also a wait list of youth, which we offered um, a group program with staff and mentors uh, in cycles of about eight to 10 weeks. We'd meet with the youth on a weekly basis and aim to implement the same types of goals as we would in the youth and care program, kind of working on life skills, recreation, and things like that. We found transportation to be a significant issue uh, across both programs. So it's a challenge for youth to get to our site, and we had to, to support um, driving them there uh, through our staff and our volunteers. Uh, one of the major differences between the programs is that the youth in the circle are not required to have past contact or open files of children's services. In that, in the CIRCLE program, there is a list of 11 criteria that were developed at the start of the program, uh, which were developed to assess risk factors for youth. Uh, so basically an internal um, measurement tool to enroll them and make sure that they are the right fit for this type of program. So despite those different ways of the youth entering our programs, we found the cohorts through the Youth in Care encircled Kids to be very similar um, in terms of any adversities or um, trauma or risk. Um, Another similarity was partnerships and collaboration were both critical in the projects. So in particular with um, Indigenous partners for both mentor recruitment and working with our Indigenous youth. A key challenge was around reaching our project targets while not sacrificing the quality of service provided in the program and this circle evaluation consisted of a review of documentation, questionnaires, individual interviews of participants, focus groups and storytelling much like our youth in care evaluation. We did find that staff turnover occurred on the front line as well as through our um, management and national staff um, which had impacts on the project. Um, A large piece of the evaluation for the circle was assessing the youth's risk factors in the evaluation against the outcomes of the program. So uh, youth were required to complete a resiliency survey at the beginning of their program and again at the one year mark of their match and at match closure to assess the outcomes. The completion of the surveys included incentives to the youth in the form of gift cards each time. Uh, They completed a survey as well as their match accumulated a prescribed amount of gift card value towards match activities throughout the duration of their match. So that was all built in at the beginning of the CIRCLE project through the funding. Um, The evaluation also gathered stories of significant change. Uh, So reporting on stories of youth in the beginning of the program and then updating them yearly to share how their lives have changed um, from being involved in the project as long as their match is still open. So some common learnings from both programs again just a bit of a wrap-up here is that there continues to be a need for this type of programming to serve these types of youth. Uh, the importance of staff having these experience and training to support the matches is uh, quite significant and um, helped us see more success in supporting the matches. We found similar challenges again with the volunteer recruitment across both projects. And both projects know the importance of relationships with key partners and stakeholders uh, towards program success. So the uh, circle evaluation findings are not um, public at this time, but if you would like to learn more about the circle project, We do have a contact that we can provide at our national office, who is more than happy to discuss um, about the program further on the evaluation side. So now I believe I will hand this back to Rochelle. There she is. Hi.
0: I think actually we want everyone from our panel up right now, just because we're not sure what kind of questions will come in and who to direct them to. So now's your chance, everyone. If you're on a computer, please type your messages into the chat box. Uh, We have one that I'll I'll, uh, take right away that I see has come in already. Um, And as I said, after we've answered uh, questions that come in on the computer, we'll also take the phones off of mute um, to answer anything on the phone lines. So if you are calling in, please take a look at your phone and just see how you would be able to mute yourself if you know there's a lot of background noise where you are, because when we take the the phones off mute, all of them will be off mute at the same time. So if you're you're not um, attempting to ask a question, please do mute your line if you're able to. That will help us be able to hear anyone who does have questions. Uh, So the question that's come in has said, lots of learning, well done. Was any data gathered or will it be on educational achievement, uh, involvement, engagement with the justice system or other provincial systems, and would that be incorporated in next steps? I think that's a question for both you and I to take, Michelle. Um, yeah. Do you wanna answer first and then I'll follow up? Sure. It, it wasn't
2: specifically the information that we gathered was self-reports, self-reports of parents and guardians, self-reports of mentors, mentees. And so there were questions on school attend, you know, did, did you attend school more? Or do you feel more confident? Those kinds of things in the survey. We didn't get any data specifically from education on attendance or achievement. We didn't get anything specifically from the justice system. But I do agree that's, that's a, a next step to look at really digging deep into the outcomes that and the benefits and the impact that this type of supportive relationship has on the youth. So the ones that we did collect to do with that or self reports through the survey and interviews. Mm
0: -hmm. And what I wanted to add to that is those questions that you're asking are are things that would be gathered in more of a longer term survey. So if we had, or a longer term evaluation or research project. So if we had the funds to take on like a 10 year, 15 year sort of research project, I think that would be the best place for tracking those sorts of impacts on, on children and youth's lives. Um, Our focus with this evaluation was more on is this program as it's been set up effective for what it was intending to do and we didn't have outcomes ascribed to this program around educational achievement, lack of involvement in justice system or lack of involvement in other systems, we had goals more around. Um, strong relationships, strong connection, um, confidence, youth feeling that they're thriving, and that they had hope for the future. And I think all of those would, you know, those are complementary; they impact each other. Um, but we weren't looking specifically at those at those areas that you're that you're referring to. But obviously, um, evaluation in the future leaves us with all kinds of options with what we can look at. And of course, we have the data that was collected in the past evaluations which could potentially be useful for for additional research down the road. Um, Yeah, so that's where I'll leave that. Also, it hasn't been articulated to me within government, this hasn't been much of a kind of cross ministry, cross department project or program. So if we had involvement from other ministries who were wanting to see different kinds of outcomes, then that may also lead to uh, those types of information being collected. Uh, next question, how could a person request a mentor who's out in a rural area? Um, so what you'd wanna do is go on to the Alberta Mentoring website and see if there is a mentoring program that serves your area. And there are some who have like sort of satellite offices. So I know the Edmonton office um, provides some mentoring services out in, is it Cold Lake? Do you refer to the satellite office?
1: um i would have to just confirm some of them we don't run the satellites and off the top of my head of course i can't remember yeah. so yes
0: but there's a few like some you might not be aware of where there are different uh programs offered and then um and you can find that information at our on the amp website another thing is that i know with um with the covid19 situation we've really launched into this area of virtual mentoring and virtual support for mentorship, and I think that's going to have an, a big impact in how we provide service to rural communities down the road. We don't really know uh, clearly how it will look as that's still unfolding, but I think we we might see significantly increased opportunities for supporting people in rural areas um, if if we're not relying solely on in per, in-person mentorship. So, yeah, I think that's as much as I can share about that. Unless you, um, you could contact me with a specific community, and we could see what what's accessible there. But um, that is also one of the one of the reasons for the need for expansion for this program is because it is so limited where you can access it. Just in Edmonton, Red Deer, and Calgary, and uh, th- there's a lot of children and youth who have a need for this type of service that don't have access to it because of location right now. Another question Was there a component of group mentoring offered during the youth in care program to complement the one on one
1: relationship?
0: I'll let you take that one, Amy.
1: Sure, yes. Thank you uh, for the question. Yes, there was. Um, so it was just for waitlist youth who weren't matched yet one on one in the program. Um, so similar to the circle, we actually took the way the circle group was modeled um, by just doing six to eight week weekly sessions with the youth um, and adapted that into the youth in care program instead of doing drop-in monthly or bi-weekly activities we um, wanted to run a more intentional mentoring group with those youth and so um, in the last year that's the way we run it with um, About two to four staff on average, and a couple of our volunteers have been fantastic and saw some really great um, relationships form between the kids and the mentors in that program.
2: I'll just add to that, if I can, Amy, that um, Edmonton had a strong youth, um, that component of group support for their waitlist. Not all sites did have that group piece to it. And that, of course, makes it interesting from an evaluative perspective when the sites aren't exactly the same. I'm going to say that actually brought very much richness to this. Uh, Red Deer, for instance, has a smaller intake. They do their training a little bit different. Sometimes it's more one-on-one if they have a mentor um, volunteer ready and they don't have to wait to a cohort comes through, whereas Edmonton and Calgary, for instance, would do um, larger group training. So the, the group piece that Amy speaks to uh, was in Edmonton-specific. I think that Red Deer had a little bit of group stuff happening at some point, um, and I don't believe that Calgary had a group piece with theirs. Um, just so to make the point that each site, there were some differences, much many more similarities, but there were differences as well.
0: Thank you. Those are great answers. Um, Have you had to or how would you address any hesitation caregivers or caseworkers would have about referring youth um, to the program if they have, oh, sorry, around um, fears that they may be on the wait list for too long? So, yeah, just the tolerance around youth having the desire to have a mentor, but then maybe not being able to match and and, uh, with this population being more vulnerable. Has that come up at all? Sorry, um, I think, Amy, would you be able to take that one? And I can respond a little too. Sure.
1: Yeah, you know, um, that's usually the first question in either our traditional streams or this one um, around wait times. The benefit of having the Youth and Care as its own standalone stream though, is that uh, although Edmonton, it sounds like 144 is very large uh, for a wait list, our traditional program is much higher than that and so this way we can kind of channel them in through um, a smaller stream for us at least and um, match them potentially a little bit more quickly there so as we don't normally give specific promises around wait times because we are volunteer dependent um, and it depends on who walks through our door uh, that's a good fit to match that youth Uh, We just try to explain that we hope to match them sooner um, when we interview them. Um, So part of us offering the waitlist group programming is one way to have that first step in the experience with the mentor um, and that we are offering some type of quality service to those youth during that time. So although we can't fully dispel worries about how long it might take um, that is a couple of different options we've come up with to to try to alleviate that weight
0: mm-hmm. yeah and um, things I've heard from other sites around mitigation for that have been I know Calgary focuses a lot on um, trying to find youth identified mentors as well so um, it's a good word for that, but kind of going back through the youth's history to identify any people who they would like the agency to approach around being their mentor, people who they already might have a, a level of trust with, and so that that process really can't start happening until a youth is on board and 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 wanting to be involved in the program itself. Um, but I think it also opens up other other sources of volunteers, right, or who might have. Or be compelled to participate because they already know the youth that they'd be connected with, and I and I think uh, the other option has been through group group supports that that offer the chance to be um, connected in other relationships even before having a one on one match.
2: So. I'll just give a shout out to uh, yeah. Lit Review because this idea of natural mentors was something mm-hmm. that came up quite a bit in the findings in terms of promising practices and ways to to engage um, and find new mentors. So that was definitely something that all sites looked into and explored how to do that and how to work with uh, Children's Services to identify some of the people that have been in that young person's life. So it's definitely uh, showed
0: some promise. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, and one of the examples you gave, Michelle, was around that, because it was a, uh, a youth worker who, continued to be in touch with her, with that child um, because she became a mentor after, over time, at, at least if, that's, I under, if I understood it correctly, she was a worker in the group home and then um, kept the relationship alive through a mentoring relationship. So and those I are, sorry. Yeah, those are some yeah, other I options,
2: that, I think. That's who that a lot of the natural mentors that young people identify in their life were past group home workers, past teachers, past coaches, yeah. Um, like anyone who, you know, when we reflect on our own life, who has made an impact and who stays with us, then those were people that could be connected if, if they want to participate. They go through the same training, the same screening mm-hmm. processes as, as a mentor coming in a, in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. But there's already that connection with the young person. The other cool thing, and Amy, you, you might want to speak to this too, but is just how innovative the sites were around matching. I heard about opportunities where there'd be mentors and mentees would come together in a group setting. Um, can't really do that right now, but that happened before, where yeah. you have an opportunity to talk to different people and say, "Hey, who do you, who do you hit it off with?" And and there's also that that power, if you will, if that's the right word, but that the choice given to the young person once the match is made, as I understand it, to say, "Yeah, yeah. that's a good fit. I think we can carry on," or you know, maybe that's not quite it, and we do ask the question in the survey, like, do you and your mentee or do you and your mentor have similar interests? And sometimes it's, yeah, somewhat, sometimes it's a lot, but not having exactly the same interests isn't, doesn't necessarily prove to be an unsuccessful match. In fact, it provides new experiences for both involved. So, yeah, I just thought it was kind of neat the way that youth get that opportunity to to choose.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's really important, Michelle, that, like, that the successful match can come from a lot of different factors but i also think a little bit longer time um waiting for a match waiting for the right match is really um not as much of a inconvenience as it seems at the time right like if you're if you're waiting 2 months longer than another peer who's being matched but then your relationship uh ends up being for a lifetime you know like that's a that's a small trade-off, right? But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and I think the agencies really do prioritize waiting for the right, the right mentor. So they're waiting for someone who they think has a strong chance of success with that, with that longevity, piece and a commitment. Um, okay, we have another question come in. Um, how is support for this program being provided during the COVID-19 restrictions? So I assume things must have changed a little bit in the last few months because you were meeting in person with groups and then having uh, matches meet in the community. So, Amy, what's what's changed here in in Edmonton, and are you aware of changes that have happened in Red Deer or Calgary?
1: Yeah, for sure, um, it definitely has changed a lot for for all three sites. Um, so. All three sites are enrolling volunteers uh, virtually or matching virtually and supporting the current matches uh, through virtual means or whether that means they're texting, calling, um, doing video chats or Zoom, anything kind of in that scope is is what we've moved to do. Um, Our group, I can speak for Edmonton, our waitlist group um, also was, I think we had two more weeks left of sessions that we had to cut short. And so, wrapping that up through a video uh, platform, and then now trying to run that group virtually as well um, through video conferencing. So, we've had to make many adaptations, uh, but we're happy to say that most of our matches just continued on, and we work through the technology piece with everybody as best they can. So, uh, the staff are still, you know, continue to do their follow-ups and supporting the matches, and um, I think. So we've already spoke about the referrals uh, that these matches or families need um, already, but uh, that mm-hmm. just increased, yeah. especially around food supports mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kids are now doing schooling online and, and just trying to figure out the best ways we might support moving forward. So um, yeah, lots of adaptation and, and having to get creative and um, very uh, savvy with the technology pretty fast.
0: Yeah. Lots of shift. Um, But I think that that's wonderful to show the kids that even when there's a lot of chaos out in the world that's completely outside of our control, um, you know, these people will figure out a way to still be there for you. You know, this is going to continue. This isn't going to be something we just say like, okay, see ya when COVID is over. You know, like we value them. We think that they're important and they're worth our time and efforts to keep
1: um, to keep supporting. Yeah, for sure. It was really important across the board that we um, made sure the connection stayed because kids were losing so many connections just from yeah. school closing alone, that it was really critical that we just kind of sorted through the, the chaos in the beginning and um, and then kept close to everything that's happening and and made sure we provide those opportunities that they're still able to get together. And same, same with the, the group kids, you know even if it's just over the phone once a week or or however that can look for them
0: yeah for sure all right we only have five minutes left for now so i think i just wanted to um point out some of the resources available i don't see any other questions coming in we can still take them if if someone else has another question but um I wanted to also let everyone on the line right now know, because I assume you may be interested, um, that we're doing a follow-up webinar on uh, the same Youth in Care Mentoring Program happening. It's going to be June 4th. I think the time is 2 o'clock to 3.30. I should really know that, um, but maybe Andy can correct me if I'm off on the time there. Um, and it's going to be a little different than this one because we're going to be talking to various participants in the program from different perspectives. So. We have an experienced mentor who has mentored um, many kids who have been involved in the children's, uh, in the child intervention system. Um, we have a, a, current, a current mentee and their caregiver who will be talking with us about what their experience has been like and what they see a value in the program. We have a caseworker who's talking with us about um, what it's been like to have their clients in the program. And I feel like I'm missing. Oh, yes, and a staff perspective, but what it's like to um, support the families and connect with the pro, um, connect them to the program, and what that looks like for them on a day-to-day basis. So we're really excited to share to share that um, that webinar as well. We wanted to really give the evaluation like enough time, uh, like as you saw with. The depth that we went into, um, that Michelle went into, there's a lot there, and there's so much that we didn't cover. Like we really still, this was still just an overview, and it took the amount of time that it did. So if you're curious at all, like it's a good read. I think it was it was worth digging into. So please download it, and and um, yeah, there's lots there that you can can discover. But we also really want to to pay attention to how does this change people's lives? What does it mean for them? Why is it significant? And um, as Michelle mentioned, it's really only available to a small number of the children and youth who could benefit from this type of program. And the case for expansion is really strong. How do we get the um, the right people to listen to that story? And uh, I know you can hear my dog just going crazy. <laughs> Some things are impossible to stop. Um, yeah just how do we get support for this program get it expanded and be able to uh, meet the needs uh, more more thoroughly more significantly so I think we can be really um, impressed and proud of the success uh, to date at how well established the programs are in each of the locations I think there's a strong case for local expansion like increased capacity in each city and also some other locations to, to provide service where it's not available right now. Um, so here's our contact information. If you need anything from Alberta Mentoring Partnership, you can get in touch with us. Also, you can check out the website at albertamentors.ca. Um, Michelle, did you want to talk to those uh, resources for the Evaluation Society, what people will, will find through those websites? Sure.
2: Thank you, Rochelle, yeah. For those who are interested in learning more about evaluation or what resources are available, definitely encourage you to visit the Alberta NWT chapter or the Canadian Evaluation Society as a whole. So there's a listing, there's resources, there's different professional development that comes up. And uh, also if you're looking for evaluators or that kind of thing. So I just thought I would throw that up there for those of you who joined wanting to learn more about evaluation and developmental evaluation. And thanks to everyone for joining. It has been just a privilege to be part of this program and and see it evolve over time. And uh, I wish the advisory committee and the, the sites all the best. I also want to give a shout out to all the folks who helped with the evaluation as part of Anderson Draper Consulting, but also specifically to the mentors who helped inform this through participating in the evaluation and the mentees who, can fill out the surveys, participated in the interviews and and let us observe the things that were going on. So thanks to all of you. And it's just, um, again, I hope you have an opportunity to read the evaluation report or any of the other supports, the program design. And if you have any questions, reach out through Alberta Mentors and Andrew will send your question on to the right person.
0: Well, our time is up. Thank you, Amy and Michelle so much for participating today, being our panelists, and it's been really, wonderful to hear from each of you. Um, I we still have great attendance follow through from people who who logged in at the beginning, so they must have been interested and we're holding their attention somehow. Um, This webinar is also going to be recorded and available um, at the AMP website. So if you want to share it with someone else who wasn't able to be here today, please forward that link on I think you'll receive a link in a follow up email um, to this one. And thank you so much, everyone, for your time, for being here, and uh, for continuing to be curious about how we can support our our vulnerable children and youth in our province. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you.